Hi, my name's Alistair. I'm the lead pastor of St. Pete's, and wherever you are, we're really glad that you've joined us to worship today. Before we get into God's word, let's pray. Father, we do give you thanks that we can gather under your story and be united by the power of your spirit. We ask that you would take your word and apply it to our minds that we not grow shallow, apply it to our hearts that we not grow cold, and apply it to our feet. That we not just be hearers of your word, but doers also. We pray all of these things in the powerful name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. This week, I want to step into one of my favorite scenes in the gospel. It's the story about Jesus, Simon, and an unnamed woman. She's called a woman of the city by Simon. She's a prostitute. And it's a scene of both hospitality and radical inhospitality. A conflict erupts in this evening between Jesus and Simon, and it would have been awkward even embarrassing. It's the sort of thing many of us would have wanted to back slowly away from, but Jesus presses into the conflict, not because he's for conflict, but because he's for this woman and he's for Simon. Such a fascinating scene. And during this conflict, Jesus asks one of my favorite questions in all of scripture. He looks at Simon and he says to him, do you see this woman? Do you see this woman? It's a rhetorical question. The answer is no. Simon doesn't. He only sees a woman of the city, a prostitute, a sinner. But to Jesus, she's a woman worth seeing. So if we take the time to see her, to overcome this gap between how Jesus sees her and how Simon sees her, we're actually going to see something rather remarkable and incredible. She, this unnamed woman, will challenge us to see what true hospitality looks like. And she'll challenge us with a question. She says to us, I'll be dining at this table with Jesus, but are you willing to sit with me? And so today we're going to spend most of our time trying to see this woman and see what this passage can teach us about hospitality. So let's dig into Luke chapter 7, beginning with verses 36 and 37. Luke writes, One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's home, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. So to understand this passage, we do need some context. You know, leading up to this passage, Jesus has been publicly criticized. He's been called a friend of sinners because he often eats with the wrong people. He eats with tax collectors. He eats with prostitutes. He eats with drunkards. And this got under the skin of the religious elites of his day because who you ate with signified a lot. It wasn't as casual of saying, hey, let's go get a burrito at Chipotle. There was a lot more thought and intentionality that went into who you ate with. It was a way of signifying who was in and who was out. Now, on some level, we get this, don't we? We know what it is to invite our closest friends to a meal and keep it closed to those closest friends because that's the circle we've drawn versus a meal that's open to acquaintances or, or even strangers. And if you're hosting a meal for your closest friends and someone brings a stranger without asking you and defies that social norm, there can be a bit of offense taken. You probably can overcome it, but you start asking, well, did you misunderstand what's going on here? 
And the religious elite of the day are asking Jesus that question. Do you understand how things work? We don't dine with sinners. If you really understand God, you're going to exclude them from the table. And sinners in that day is a wide range of people. It's not just people who did wrong or who broke rules and regulations. It wasn't just people who failed to live up to God's standards. It also included uh, people who were outcast because of disease. People who were just seen as socially awkward or unacceptable. People who had uh, ongoing illnesses or just didn't live up to the Pharisees' standards. And so they lived outside while the Pharisees lived inside. And by closing the circle of who they ate with, the Pharisees controlled who the public thought were in with God and out with God. Now this matters because Jesus, a rabbi, a religious leader, has been dining with the wrong people. God among us is out there with the outsiders rather than the insiders. He's been eating with tax collectors and sinners and he should know better. And the religious leaders of his time, they can't stand this. But here in our passage, Jesus shows us he'll even dine with the Pharisees. He'll even dine with the religious elite. He'll sit down at their table too. And so here we are with Jesus and Simon the Pharisee. And he heads into his home and he reclines at Simon's table. And at these sort of meals, when there's a guest rabbi visiting, uh, they would be open to the public. It's important to understand that. So the invited guests would recline and dine at the table. And then they would be ordered by rank. And then the servants would serve. And people passing by, they could gather behind the servants and watch and listen in on the conversation as the religious elites talked to this rabbi about questions of God and life and faith. But what's important about this scene is what isn't said. You know, every culture has a set of customs for welcoming guests into your home. You know, if we weren't in a pandemic and I welcomed someone into my home, I would normally say, welcome, come in, and I would either shake their hand or give them a hug and take their jacket and hang it up for them and say, take a seat, can I get you something to drink? And if I failed to do these things, it would be an insult, or at least very strange. If I just said, yeah, 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 get in, it would be harsh. You see, there's things we're expected to do to communicate that a person is welcomed, and there's things we're expected to do to reciprocate being welcomed. When I was younger, I had a friend named Scott, and I'll never forget the first time he had me over to his home for dinner. Uh, we were hanging out in the kitchen, and his mom asked me, Alistair, do you want something to drink? And I said, no, I'm okay, thank you. And she asked again, which I thought was odd, and I said, no, I'm okay, thank you. And then she asked a third time, and again, I said, no, I'm okay, thank you. And I didn't think anything of it. And over the years, I've had many, many dinners at Scott's house and eventually his mom asked me, do you remember the first time you came over for dinner? And I said, yeah, you must have thought I was thirsty. She said, no, I, I thought you were a little punk. And I said, what, why? And she said, I asked you three times to help set the table and three times you said no point blank to my face. Scott's mom was insulted by what didn't happen. In a way, I accidentally threw her hospitality back in her face. I didn't reciprocate being welcomed by helping set the table. 
So Jesus, he walks into Simon's home and we have to take note about what didn't happen. There's no mention of being welcomed. In their day and time, a servant uh, would take your sandals. They would wash your feet and the, the host would welcome you with a kiss. And as Jesus will go on to say in this passage, none of these customs happened. He was shown no welcome. You see, this wasn't just Simon being thoughtless. You, have to for, you don't just forget things like this. Unlike my faux pas, Simon's actions are calculated. His failure to extend the usual courtesies to Jesus is nothing short of an insult and an attempt to shame him publicly. He's telling everyone at the dinner party that he sees Jesus as a lesser ranked person in society. Simon may have welcomed him into his home, but only to put Jesus in his place. If Jesus wants to dine with sinners and tax collectors, then Simon is going to treat him like one at his table. Now, if we're intentionally insulted by someone, there's ways that we can reciprocate such a welcome, isn't there? I can think of many opportunities, but Jesus doesn't do that. He doesn't storm out in anger. He doesn't take a glove out of his pocket and backhand. Simon, there's no finger wagging. What's remarkable about this is that Jesus humbly takes his place at the table. Unwelcomed, unwashed, insulted, Jesus reclines and yet remains hospitable even in a hostile, inhospitable setting. That's because Jesus doesn't extend a welcome or reciprocate hospitality simply because the setting is good or because the person is kind and welcoming toward him. You see, Jesus will receive an insult. He'll take on shame and yet he'll offer his presence and his welcome to the very person who's insulting him and shaming him. And Luke tells us that one of the bystanders watched all of this go down and one of those bystanders is this woman of the city, and we don't get her name. I wish we did, but we don't. But we do get her profession. She's a prostitute. Luke adds, she's a sinner. She's an outsider. And she heard Jesus was dining at Simon's, and so she came with an alabaster flask of ointment. She came prepared. Scholars across the board agree that it's likely she heard Jesus at another point proclaiming the gospel in her city and she responded to it and she planned to find Jesus to show him thanks and gratitude for this knowledge about the kingdom of God and how she's welcome in it. She's heard Jesus preaching of grace and forgiveness for sinners and she wants to thank Jesus and she wants to thank him the best way she knows how so she brings this expensive perfume to honor him at some point in the evening. But then she gets to Simon's and she watches Jesus being publicly humiliated. She witnesses Jesus being treated the way she should be treated. She sees him being treated this way because he's dined with people like her. And so seeing all of this, seeing Jesus unwelcomed, unwashed, and insulted, she responds. Look at verse 38. Standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with ointment. This is scandalous. Now imagine you're having a dinner party and a lady of the night, a prostitute, comes into your home, climbs under your table at one of your guests' feet. This is scandalous and you could only interpret it erotically. 
It would be uncomfortable. What's she doing? Now, it's helpful to know that ancient, ancient tables weren't set up the same way as our tables. So she didn't climb under the table. She was standing behind Jesus' feet, and she could take that posture because tables were long and low. So you would recline on your left elbow, and your feet would be out. So, yes, Jesus' feet were accessible, but this is no more acceptable because the, the table was different. It's still scandalous. The other guests, the other servants, the people watching, and especially Simon, would have thought she was being wildly inappropriate. And it's uncomfortable. It's an emotional display. She's weeping and she's kissing his feet and she's pouring out this expensive perfume on his feet. But most shockingly, most offensively, she lets down her hair. She lets down her hair. Well, that doesn't shock us. But if the text said she took off her shirt and she was topless, we would all gasp. We would understand how shocking this action truly is. Uh, the Mishnah, an ancient Jewish document, lists offenses that uh, justify a man to divorce his wife without a financial settlement. I don't agree with any of them. Scripture doesn't agree with any of them. But it helps you understand the mindset at that time. And here's what it says. Among the items listed, if a woman goes out with her hair unbound or spins in the street or speaks with any man, you can divorce her without a financial settlement. Women take this to heart. No spinning. But now, we don't agree with these rules, but in the ancient Jewish context, a woman's hair was sexually provocative. That's why it remained covered. That's why it remained bound up. That's why it would have been so offensive that this woman of the city let her hair down in a public place, let alone on Christ's feet. Because that should only be done in private for your husband. She uncovers her hair. It's an ordeal. And we read in verse 39. Now, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who's touching him, for she is a sinner. So what happens only solidifies Simon's perspective and thoughts about Jesus. Jesus can't be a prophet. A prophet wouldn't let this happen. A prophet wouldn't associate with a woman like this. A prophet would put her in her place. And so the only logical conclusion is that Jesus isn't a prophet. He's actually a sinner like the rest of them. But this reveals a lot about Simon. And it reveals a lot about how how he thinks God acts in the world. Remember, Simon is a Pharisee, and so he believed that God only takes interest in and rewards those who blamelessly keep the law. They have to earn God's approval by keeping all their I's dot, dotted and their T's crossed. And even more than that, they go beyond the law. So if there was a law that said, don't stand at the edge of a cliff, for example, they would add a law that says, don't stand 10 feet from the edge of a cliff, so that you don't risk possibly breaking the law. So they held rules above the rules. And this is why Jesus says elsewhere in the Gospels, in vain did the Pharisees worship God, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. So for Simon, it's very simple. There's people who are in and there's people who are out. People who follow the Pharisees' way of life and people who don't. And Simon thinks he has an edge on the market of the kingdom of God. 
Only the people who act accordingly, only people who keep the rules are part of his party, are part of the kingdom, are the people who are in with God. And as a result, this affects who Simon is able to welcome into his life, into his home, and at his table. He will not truly welcome Jesus, let alone welcome this prostitute, because in his mind, they're unwelcome by God. They don't have enough clout, at least that's what Simon thinks. And in his mind, a true prophet would agree with him. One New Testament scholar, James Resigwe, sums Simon up this way, and I, I love this. Simon the Pharisee illustrates the consequences of social and spiritual constipation. His preference for human boundaries restricts his view of the way God works in the world. Simon is missing it. He is socially and spiritually constipated. His sight is truncated. He doesn't see correctly at all. And Jesus isn't content, though, to leave Simon in that place. Just as Jesus welcomed this unnamed woman into his presence, so he wants to welcome Simon into his presence. And so Jesus speaks up. Look at verses 40 through 43. And Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And in the ancient East, this was a way of saying, I have something to say that you're not going to like. And so Simon says, okay, say it. Jesus goes on. A certain money lender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And Jesus said to him, you've judged rightly. This might be Jesus' most straightforward parable. And it deconstructs everything Simon believes about God. Jesus essentially says, Simon, God does not act the way you think. He doesn't respond to people based on what they deserve. You can't earn God's affection or presence. You don't deserve it. See, everyone is in debt to God, whether in small or big ways. And God doesn't operate the way you think. He operates on the basis of forgiveness. A forgiveness that isn't deserved, but freely offered. That erases all our debts. Pharisee and prostitute alike. Love in the parable is a response to unmerited forgiveness. Love is a response to forgiveness. And I just love what Jesus does. Look at verses 44 through 48. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? There it is. Do you see this woman? I entered your house and you gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she's not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, She's anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. He who is forgiven little loves little. And Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. When Simon sees this woman, he sees a sinner whose actions are erotic and out of place. 
They're what you would expect given her reputation. She's a sinner. She's not welcomed by God. But Simon doesn't see what has actually happened at all. He doesn't see her. Jesus does. And Jesus turns toward this woman and he sees her. He truly sees her in the same way he sees you and he sees me. She's a woman taking great risk to show great affection. A woman stepping outside of her place to make sure Jesus is put in his proper place of honor. A woman weeping in gratitude and love. Not simply a sinner, but a woman to be seen and admired she is a true example of hospitality, reciprocating the welcome she's been shown by God. Simon showed no hospitality, no welcome to Jesus because Simon doesn't actually understand how God works. But this woman, she understands. God operates fundamentally from a place of forgiveness. We can't earn our way into God's presence because we have debts big and small, that need to be forgiven. And because she's been forgiven much, she loves much. Her wild actions, they are an expression of the forgiveness she knows she's received. Because she's been forgiven much, she loves much. And so she lets down her hair, but not in an inappropriate way. She's declaring her ultimate loyalty and commitment to Jesus as her Savior and as her Lord. She's expressing her faith that Jesus really can forgive her sins on behalf of God. She's no longer living as a prostitute, but as a child of God, weeping and showing him her true affection. And so Jesus declares to her and to everyone listening, your sins are forgiven. But the perfect tense is lost in most translations. What it should say is your sins have been forgiven. Jesus declares what has already been true in her life, and he declares it publicly, not just for her sake, but for the sake of everyone watching what has transpired. Her act of love, her risk, isn't what earned her forgiveness. She was already forgiven, and she knew that, and her love overflows from this experience of the forgiveness she's already received. And in turn, Jesus is saying to Simon, you're in hospitality and hostility toward me and toward this woman is a sign that you're actually outside the kingdom of God, even though you think you're in. You love little because you've been forgiven little and you don't realize your need before God. And Jesus, he's challenging Simon. Simon isn't the true host. Simon doesn't get to determine who's in or who's out. Yes, it might be his table and his home, but Jesus and Simon both know they're not talking about this table. They're talking about God's kingdom and his great banquet table and only God in Christ gets to determine who's in and who's out, who's welcomed at his table, who's honored at his table, and who may be excluded from his table, not because Christ doesn't want to welcome them, but because they refuse the welcome. And Jesus is extending an invitation to Simon. He doesn't give up on Simon. He's inviting Simon to see this woman rightly. And in doing so, over time, 
Simon might see himself rightly before God. He might see just how deeply he needs forgiveness. And he too might learn how to love the way this woman has loved. Simon's sins are far more than formal inadequacies as a gracious host. They indicate deeper levels of pride and arrogance and hard-heartedness and hostility and a judgmental spirit and a slim understanding of what really defiles and a rejection of sinners and legalism and insensitivity and misunderstanding the nature of God's forgiveness and sexism. These are all the sins we see evident in Simon in just this little snippet. And if he could see this and not cower in shame, but run toward God and receive the forgiveness Jesus is offering him, he too would love much. I love this story. It's one of my favorites. So what does this unnamed woman teach us about Jesus and hospitality? Practically everything we would ever need to know. This remarkable unnamed woman asks us a question. I will be dining at God's table. Will you sit with me? If we're more like Simon, if we can't welcome people who are too far gone or different or not like us, it's a forgiveness issue. It might not appear that way, but it is. A lack of welcoming people in our lives is usually going to be because a lack of understanding our mutual need for forgiveness. A lack of love is a lack of forgiveness. And if we can't welcome people because all we see are their flaws, their brokenness, and all the reasons why God shouldn't welcome them, we're as spiritually constipated as Simon. And so the only way we can dine with this woman at Jesus' table is if we recognize that our sins, whether they're big or small, and let's be honest, they're all big, that our sins require forgiveness from God. We need to be excused. We need to be forgiven. And if we place our faith in Christ, if we trust his proclamation of the kingdom of God, that our sins truly are forgiven. They're washed white as snow because of what he's accomplished for us through his life, death, and resurrection. We will love him much. And we're welcome then to a table where Jesus sees us through and through. He sees our faults and he sees our strengths. He sees our weaknesses and he sees the times that we struggle but actually seek his glory. He sees us better than we see ourselves and he loves us and he walks with us and he empowers us to become the type of people who extend his welcome to others. Who is this that can forgive sins is the question asked in verse 49. Only God. Only God can forgive sins and that's precisely who Jesus is is. He's God among us, welcoming us home, offering us radical forgiveness, and inviting us to extend radical hospitality. Jesus alone, as God among us, Jesus alone has the authority to forgive our sins. And on the cross, he cried out, Father, forgive them. And this is why Jesus can say to this unnamed woman in verse 50, your faith has saved you, go in peace. So what can this unnamed woman teach us about how 
to respond to those who are inhospitable about Jesus? It's a question we need to ask her because she boldly risks everything to honor Jesus in the most unwelcoming environment. And we know what it's like to see Jesus unwelcomed. We know what it's like to witness people shame him or belittle him or mock him, to ridicule belief or to say it's all fairy tales. We know what it's like to sit with people who do not welcome Jesus in their lives or in conversation or in thought. And how does this woman respond? She beautifies Jesus. She makes him beautiful with her repentance and love. She exalts in his forgiveness and grace. She gives her all to him. She commits her life to him. She doesn't keep it private. She doesn't stand back. This is a public display of affection. And this is deeply uncomfortable, but totally necessary. We respond to inhospitability toward Christ by loving him because he's forgiven us and doing so in a public way. We don't hold back our love of him. We lift him up. We pledge our full loyalty to him. We don't allow to keep it private in part of our life. It has to flow out. And so we make sacrifices that might not make sense to people around us at times because but we do it because we're relishing in who Jesus is. And so we hold on to him. We beautify him, even if others won't, and even if others reject him, because he's the great forgiver. And when we know the greatness of his forgiveness, when it grips our souls, and when we're confident that our sins and our debts are truly erased before God, and that we're loved by the God of the universe, we will begin to extend forgiveness towards debts, great, big, and small. Let's pray. Father, I ask that you would give us the courage of this woman who sits now with you at your great banquet table. Give us the courage to acknowledge who we are before you. All our flaws, all our mistakes, all our sins. To not just see our sins as small, but as significant. Not little, but big. So that we might see the magnitude and goodness of your forgiveness. Lord, as we understand that we've been forgiven by you, may we love you. May we love you in abundant ways. And may you give us that unwavering confidence to love you in a world that is hostile toward you at times. To love you in costly ways, in public ways. And to beautify you always in our hearts and in our minds with our strength and our bodies and the way we live and move and have our being. Amen.